I remember him grabbing me by the waist and then me doing this final draw to his eye. Um, I ended up stabbing him in the eye for the last swing or stab or whatever you want to call it. We are switching things up today here on the Become a Media Maven podcast, and we're doing it for a couple of reasons. One, this is my podcast, so I can talk about whatever I want to talk about and bring on whoever I want to bring on. That's the joy of hosting your own podcast. And two, I was speaking with Jessica Lindgren. She was a guest on the podcast a few months ago. Um, She is Pat Flynn's executive assistant, and we were talking at podcast movement and she was talking about how she reads a lot of fiction books and she thinks it's important for business owners to read fiction to stay creative and to check out from the business life a little bit so you can focus on other things and it's not business all the time so that's another reason why we're kind of doing something a little different with this podcast episode um And I should also preface this by saying, if you have not listened to the Dirty John podcast, or you have not watched the Bravo series Dirty John, then you are just going to want to tap pause on this and come back after you binge that because you're not going to understand what the hell we are talking about. (laughs) Because in this podcast episode, I am speaking with the woman who took Dirty John down. And we just go straight into it. We don't give you any background information. We're like, okay, Tara, tell me about how this man attacked you. And if you haven't watched or listened to Dirty John, then you're not going to know what we're talking about. And trust me, you're going to want to listen to the podcast. You're going to want to watch the show. You can do both. I did both. You can do one or the other. It is a fascinating story. Um, If you maybe saw it on Dateline, it was on Nightline, Oxygen did a special on it. I mean, this story is everywhere. So if you aren't familiar with it, you want to get yourself familiar um, before you listen to this interview with Tara. And um, don't come at me for giving you a spoiler, okay? This story is over three years old. The podcast is over two years old. And the Bravo TV show is over a year old. So I'm not spoiling anything for you. Like the Titanic also sinks at the end, people. This is not brand new information. It's a few years old. Um, But I wanted to have Tara on because one, I'm fascinated by her story. I can't believe she's alive. And I tell her that. Um, And she actually inspired me to start taking karate after I watched Dirty John. I was like, oh, dear Lord, I need to learn how to protect myself. Um, Fun fact, Tara never took karate or any kind of martial arts or self-defense classes. She's just a badass. Um, And I know myself, I am not a badass and I probably would have died in her situation. So I wanted to take karate and then, you know, I got pregnant and I couldn't do it anymore and I haven't been back. Um, So there's that. But anyway... (laughs) You're going to love this interview with Tara Newell. Again, she is the woman who took Dirty John down, and she does not play the victim card or the victim role at all. She's really doing a lot to help others, whether they be in abusive relationships, whether they're dating. She's sharing red flags to look out for, and she's also helping lawmakers and people with influence in this country look at how violence against women is addressed um, or lack thereof. And you're going to hear her talk about that as well in this podcast interview. So here is Tara Newell. Ever wonder how some people seem to get a ton of media coverage and you don't? Welcome to Become a Media Maven, where TV reporter, host, and news contributor Christina Nicholson shares years of media experience to help you get the media attention you and your business deserve. And now, to help you master your media coverage, Christina Nicholson. Tara, thank you so much for joining me on the Become a Media Maven podcast. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. This is so different. You are a very different guest than most guests that I bring on. For the past year and a half, um, I'm usually talking about a lot of business stuff. And I wanted to have you on for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's actually good for your business and your professional life to like talk about things that are separate from business and talk yes. about things. You know, I mean, like everybody reads like nonfiction books. Like sometimes it's good to read a fiction book. So you're kind yeah. of like going to help me break it up. But as we will find out through this podcast, um, I feel like you are using a story where people would look at you as a victim and you're not using it as an excuse and you're using it. I mean, you've kind of used it to start a business and you're building a brand and you're helping other people. So I guess in one way we could look at this like a business podcast, but it's more for you to tell your story because it is so helpful to so many people. Um, Thank you. And for people who don't know you, um, I guess you're, you're the woman who took down Dirty John. I mean, how would you introduce yourself to people listening? <laughs> I guess I'm the girl that ended Dirty John um, with, like, you know, there's the Bravo series, there's the um, podcast, but I'm, like, the real player in the series, in the podcast. And I, I think I actually did it backwards. I watched the Bravo series first, and then I listened to the podcast. So I was going to ask you how accurate the Bravo series was. And to me, it looks pretty accurate to like every little detail. Is that correct to say? So there's so many things that didn't actually like happen. And there's so many things that did. But I feel like uh, when the thing did happen, except for my attack, they kind of sat down with me for hours. I sat on the phone with the stunt coordinator and we really talked about what I did. The only thing that was different in that scene was me putting up my backpack. I put up my purse a little differently to protect myself, but that was from my perspective. But everything else kind of happened a little bit differently. Like the scene where I was snooping and stuff, I never snooped. And I never, like, I actually, out of all my family members, I didn't like him. But that, I didn't hire the private investigator. That was my sisters and brothers and cousins. And that was all they're doing. Because I was living in Vegas, just living my own life, trying to honestly separate from the drama that I just experienced during Thanksgiving. Because that was hard. And I love my mom and I want to see her happy, but it's how do we deal with this guy that came into our lives that isn't who he says he is? A couple of questions. Um, first, just an observation. The girl who played your sister in the Bravo show was freaking hilarious. And then I listened to the podcast and she was freaking hilarious in real life. Like your sister her character, and then just the things she said on the podcast crack, cracked me up. <laughs> oh, well, I really like that you said that because uh, my sister, a lot of the time, she thinks that her character is made out to be a bitch. Um, so that will make her really happy because I, I really enjoyed her character also. And Jacqueline is a spitfire, and I think that that's what they were kind of trying to portray because Jacqueline is such a nice person when you get to know her. She's really caring and nurturing. I think that's why I like her because she comes off as a spitfire. Um, yeah. And that's just – she's a woman after my heart with her attitude. I love it. Um, <laughs> okay. So you talked about like for the attack, you sat down for hours like bit by bit, piece by piece. How do you even – remember something like that. I feel like it's one of those things where it just happens so fast and it's so unexpected that you don't really remember it. But I have never been attacked like that before. So I I can't even say that. So how do you actually remember that? So a part of trauma is you get a lot of flashbacks. And so when I went through that, I do like remember some things. Um, I remember him grabbing me by the waist and then me doing this final draw to his eye. Um, I ended up stabbing him in the eye for the last 
swing or a stab or whatever you want to call it. Um, and that was like, um, I don't know. That was what I remembered the most. But then you also kind of just block out things. But it's been three and a half years now. So I've gone through a lot of therapy. And I feel like I do remember a lot more than I did in the beginning. Because, like, as you're going through time and something, like, reminds you of that incident, then you kind of um, get a flashback. And then pizza bits and pieces of your trauma keep coming back to you. And so what we heard in the podcast and what we saw in the movie is what he said to you right before that happened. He said something like, do you remember me? And then he tried to grab you. And at first you thought he was hitting you, but he was really stabbing you. Were there, like, was there any other conversation or was it just like you guys going back and forth, like him trying to kidnap you is what it seemed like at first. And after you started fighting back, he was potentially trying to kill you. I mean, was there any more conversation or was it just like the struggle back and forth after that? So those were the only words said to me. And then after that was all struggle. Um, He said, do you remember me? And then I think I immediately tried to run away and scream Because that's what you should do is you need to make as much noise as possible because you need to gain a you need to gain attention by other people. And that one person, I mean, this happened in broad daylight, correct? Yes. And one person. At 5.23 p.m. or something like that. Yeah. So it's a busy time in general, you would think, in a parking garage. And one person reacted and she was a young teenager, right? Um, so she was there, but there was other people there before her. And what did those other people do? So the first lady showed up. She was walking her uh, yellow lab. She asked me what I needed help with. And at that time, I put pressure on my wound, my stab wound that I saw that I had on my forearm. Um, and it Cash, my dog, was just running around. He was in an attack with me. And I saw him start to eat. Um, what was that like? Because I would feel like if it's happening in broad daylight, like around 530, that people are going to be around and they're going to try to help you. But we didn't actually see anybody or hear anybody come to you until it was all over. So I've heard different stories from different people. Like people did see it happen from their balconies and um there was so many balconies I think someone said there was like 20 people watching or something like that uh because there was multiple 911 calls just Skylar the girl she came down and she's the young 14 15 year old that just came from lifeguard training and like she was a big help in it and I am grateful for her but um there was like a guy um that came on a bike and he he asked me like he put the sweatshirt around my arm so that I wouldn't have to like hold my arm and have blood pouring out of my hand essentially so um, he gave me a sweatshirt, and then Skylar came up right behind him and was like, I'm trained in this. What can I do? And then just honestly started asking me questions, and then he went over to John and started giving him CPR. And I freaked out because I thought that if John woke up, his first initial reaction would just be to look for the knife and to stab anyone kind of thing. But, um, so I freaked out and I ran down the hill and you can actually see a clip of that. I think it's in Dateline. I saw it. (laughs) Yeah. I run down the hill and I'm just, um, like shaking and Skylar's like helping me down the hill and then I get down there and then that's when I like, I'm like, okay, this happened and I need to like figure out the next moves. (laughs) And so I get my phone and I call my mom and I tell her I'm so sorry that this happened. I knew it would happen. And then I also she she started to come on her way. And then I called my ex-boyfriend 
and he was working bar rescue and he um found out and then he took a flight the next couple days out to see me because it was such a big thing and it was like I could be dead yeah like I'm honestly like I don't know if this sounds bad to say but I'm like shocked that you're alive just because this man like premeditated this he was the one with the knife he was bigger than you you had no weapon you have zero self-defense classes he surprised you like the fact that he ended up like I feel like there was just so much that worked in your favor down to, and they talk about this a lot in the podcast, not so much in the show, the boots that you were wearing um, to him dropping the knife in a perfect spot for you to grab it to you having a like for zombie movies and knowing where to stab somebody to get them off of you because the first 12 like defensive stabs that you were giving him weren't doing anything. Like, it's just like, do you ever just think like how mind blowing it is that you're alive because everything was working against you, but then these little random things that are just like so far fetched, like helped you live. Well, that's kind of why I do all this stuff is because like, I didn't ask for this to happen to me. It kind of just like fell into place And now that I'm, like, speaking out and stuff, that also kind of just fell into place also. And I feel now that it's really my life journey to do this because literally I'm a survivor. And I literally got out with just a stab on my forearm and a little stab on my chest. And it was not fatal at all, Where like, the spots where he got me. Like, I was... I was able to go out of the hospital, not have any... I had exploratory exploratory surgery but that was only to see if I was bleeding out just like how I came out of it and what happened to him like I have so many like guides like God whoever wants me here someone wants me here and I feel like I need to do good and I'm here for a purpose and I need to make that purpose known Okay, so now talk to us about what you're doing because you're doing so many different things. Um, you're very vocal about what happened. Um, before we started recording, I asked you if anything was off limits because, like, I was honestly, I'm like, I know she talks about the attack, but like, I don't know if I should ask her questions about it because that's like a pretty serious thing to go through. And I don't know if I should bring it up, but you're totally open about it. You have a podcast where you help people. Tell, talk us, talk about Time Out with Tara. Okay, so I have a podcast called Time Out with Tara. I have a lot of guests on where we talk about their dating life, um, their relationships that they have, or if they have an interesting story, I always like to hear their story because I feel like we can always take something from people's story to learn and grow from it. And I have people on my podcast like um, Ashley and Jason Waller, and they talk about addiction. Then I have um, my friend Allie who went through a 42-hour labor, and it's really talking about life experiences. You know, dating is a life experience. Um, Addiction, that could be a part of a life experience, but it's important to talk about these things and get them out there. And I feel like just the people that listen to my podcast, I feel like they're searching for wisdom and answers and they're very acceptable to growing from these experiences from the podcast. And I'm going to link to the podcast in the show notes so my listeners can find it easily. And then you also talk about um, the speaking that you do and the upcoming book that you're writing. Okay. So I do speaking engagements. The next one I have booked currently is in London in September, September 26th. It's going to be a gala that I'm speaking at. And then I might do Crime Con, but I'm really I'm really hoping to do Crime Con. I'll probably be there no matter what. Um, but it's always always great to connect with um people that are in the true crime world and to just kind of um, learn and grow more from, from that world because there's so many things that the cops can do and law enforcement can do to make sure that we're 
feeling a lot more safe than we are. And I mean, I'm obviously on the outside of this, but from listening to the podcast, from watching the show, I feel like the cops could have done more to... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Tell, tell me a little bit more about that because we always hear things like, like, oh, well, it's obvious that he was going to, you know, like go off the deep end and do something bad. But up until that point, we could, we can't arrest him for this and we can't arrest him for that. So like... What, where do you think, not just specifically in your case, but in general, like where, where do they fail in getting to the point where, um, they, they wait until after something like what happened to you happens to actually do something? Okay. So first and foremost, we contacted the police several times and tried to get restraining orders. The police, um, did not grant us one. I think one of the reasons was because my mom did stay in contact with him here and there because she thought maybe I could pay this guy off or something. And she just was in fear for our lives. So she was just wondering how she could get rid of him. And I mean, the police weren't helpful at all. I remember talking to an officer probably like a couple months before John attacked me and he came to the Coronados where I was attacked. Um, and we were showing him messages of John sending us threats and literally the cop told us, he's like, the only thing you could do is, um, when he harasses you like this, you can make a complaint three times and then your three times will get you a restraining order. And this guy was literally sending us threats like that he was going to put her at the bottom of the ocean, pictures with her birth certificate and him spitting on it. And he was like he was terrorizing us and he lit my mom's car on fire and they didn't get him for that. And they had video I, of that, right? Um, I'm not 100% sure. But they were going to get him. I actually... So the cop that handled that case was actually my high school cop. And I went to church with him. And he, I ran into him like way after the fact. And he told me that they were about ready to get him. And just the remorse that I saw on this person's face because he knew that if they got him before he got to me, you know, I wouldn't have to go through that. And this cop felt so bad. I could see it in his face and I didn't understand why exactly until I went and talked to my mom. And I guess just she was like, they were always on vacation. They didn't handle the case right. And there was months, months that went in between the time of him lighting my mom's car on fire and him attacking me. So there was something that should have absolutely been done about it. And it's, it like makes me so sad that law enforcement has to have these rules and stuff where they have to take their time also. And I'm working with Laura Richards. Oh, I'm actually going to Dallas in May. And we're going to the National um, Women's Conference. And we're talking about coercive control laws because we're really trying to put coercive control laws in New York and California right now. I think that's so important. I feel like violence, and I don't know if it's because and this is me just stereotyping and generalizing. So chill with the mean comments after you listen to this, listeners. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if it's because the majority of men are the ones making the laws. But I feel like in this country, like nobody really gives a shit about violence against women. They're like, oh, oh we'll yeah. just wait till you're dead and then we'll do something about it. 
Well, it's also a long thing I feel coming because, you know, for many years, and I think it was like the 50s, we had to fight for our rights and we had to fight to be equal as men. And we're still not being seen fully equal because there are all these guys making the abortion laws. And it's these people that are have very traditional values and are very like gender biased and I don't want to blame the church because I think that there's so many great people in the church, but you know, when you are taught that like the girl is the homemaker and the guy makes the money and he can kind of do whatever he wants, then it kind of allows them to get away with this for a little bit. Agree. Totally agree. Um, yeah. Okay, can I ask you some questions from some of my social media followers? Of course. Okay. Um, and then I'm just going to add my little personal question after. Um, <laughs> um, one was somebody asked if you expected the violence because up until that point, he was crazy in other ways, but not crazy in a physical way. And then in addition to that, my little personal add-on was why you – and not some of the other family members who were more vocal about disliking him? Because it sounds like you were the the nicest to him out of everybody in the family. Or was it not about you? Was it about just a way to hurt your mom? Uh, it was about a way to hurt my mom. But I also think I'm the youngest. I don't have a – at that time, I didn't have a boyfriend. I was alone. I was an easy target. Okay. And then why do you think violence? Do you think he just – it just like got to that point because he did everything else and it was just the next step because he never actually got as far with his crazy with any other woman besides your mom, correct? Oh, no, he's tried to kill other people before. Oh, um. okay. I I missed that. I mean, I know there was suspicion <laughs> of him killing his dad, but I didn't know about him. No, I think they talked about uh, him planning. team. Yes, I think. Oh, was, okay. Was that the cyanide one where they found the cyanide? Okay, so that was in a storage and that he had. And then he also, like, tried to assault this woman. And he literally, he literally, like, fell down and broke all his teeth. And then the, he sued the lady because he... Um, he attacked her and he switched it around. And so she had to pay for a brand new set of teeth. Oh dear God. Another problem with this country. People, please. This is ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Did you expect violence? Did you think it was going to come to that at that point? Like, were you, like, I know your sister spotted him, you know, kind of lurking around before he came, um, and attacked you, but were you guys expecting violence at that point? We were all expecting it. I had dreams about stabbing him. And so I just had this fear that he was going to come after me. And um, I think that that was a way to, like, kind of prepare me for what was to come. And it was really crazy because, um, well, just like, you know, you have to trust your gut. Like, my gut always told me that this guy is so dangerous, and he was, and it wasn't because he showed, like, irrational behaviors. Like, he did show when we got into, like, the screaming fight, that should have been a major red flag because I'm not confrontational like that. I I think I've only gotten into a fight like that with my sister before, and a roommate one time. Um, (laughs) But other than that, like I've never had that experience where I was screaming at someone like that. Okay. Now, Tracy and Lori, they're asking kind of similar questions. Um, They think you're very inspiring and they would love to know if your actions were just reflexive. Um, Self-defense classes, did you just go into survival mode? Um, did you actually have time to think through what you were going to do? So I watched so many like Law and Order SVU, The Walking Dead, Dexter, 
like I love all those shows and that's what I like literally grew up in middle school watching it was just kind of ingrained in my head like what you do monkey see monkey do and so I think just literally you know how they say that um, playing video games that contributes to violence and stuff I absolutely do like believe that what you saw it pertains to your life and luckily in my case that I've watched so much of that that it just kind of went into muscle memory and monkey see monkey deal yeah people say that they know how to do CPR because of that like they just see it on tv so they just do what they see on tv so okay that makes sense um Nikki is asking how did you adjust afterward what steps did you take to deal with the trauma that you experienced she said she experienced a similar situation and she's just curious about what has worked for you as far as healing from the event well at first for me it took a lot to kind of sort through because everybody was so distraught around me because of it and I wanted them to kind of think that I was going to be okay that I don't I don't need their help um I just wanted to be this independent person that I was before because I lived on my own like right after the attack happened I don't think I went back to my apartment until like a week or two after and I had to literally pack up my stuff to move it out myself because I couldn't stay there um but I feel like in the beginning that wasn't really my decision like it was everybody making decisions for me and I just wanted to make everyone happy and that might just be me as a person that I just am a people pleaser But I just really didn't want anyone to see how hurt I was. And I don't think I even wanted myself to see that. And so literally, as time goes on, I start to have these outbursts. And you think you're literally crazy. But I would, like, have meltdowns and fits. And I didn't understand that there was, like, certain triggers, certain smells and stuff that could trigger flashbacks. And that's why... I would have these panic attacks and then just after you go through a trauma, I feel like sometimes doing normal things is such a stretch. Like, I don't know. I used to groom dogs and then when I groomed the dog, because John stalked me at my work and stuff, I put the two and two together like subconsciously And I would have meltdowns when I would groom a dog. It would be like the worst thing. And that's why I couldn't groom dogs anymore because it would be so triggering. And like this life that I had, that I thought I had, I lost all of it. And so I had to completely rebuild that and then heal from my trauma. So I ended up honestly smoking so much pot and I drank a lot. And during that time, I just kind of used that as a band-aid. But it actually made things worse because when you drink and you're struggling with trauma, it's like, well, when you drink and you're struggling with anything, it's a downer. So you're not going to be in the best mindset and it's going to do horribly for you mentally. So I actually moved to Austin, Texas, and I stayed with my um, oldest sister and she was taking time off work because she just got a surgery and so she was able to dedicate time to be there with me she helped set me up with EMDR therapy and um, it's a type of therapy where you kind of go through your trauma and talk about it but there's also these buzzers or lights and you add on that extra, extra sense as you're going through it and you're able to kind of um, work through it in a sense. And a lot of people have seen um, themselves completely healed from their PTSD with that. But the, there's also been some um, cases where they're not healed completely from that. But I have found that it's extremely helpful in my case. And then I'm sure... <coughs> The work that you do with speaking and uh, your podcast, is does that 
help you get through the trauma as well? I think it definitely helps in a sense, but I also need that additive because I need someone to hold me accountable. <clears throat> but I also need someone to work through the um, the trauma because it's so ingrained in my body and the trauma kind of lives in your body and you need to figure out how to um, like move it around. Okay. Now here's a, a personal question. This one isn't from a, a social media follower. So are you like, I don't know if paranoid is the right word, but like, are you paranoid now? And the reason I ask is because I've never had anything happen like this to me before, but I worked in the news industry. I was a TV reporter and anchor for 10 years. So I saw every terrible thing that could happen to a woman. Like I was there reporting on it outside of the crime scene. And so that made me paranoid. And so like I have, I have hurricane impact windows and doors around my house, not for the hurricane, for like the bad men. And I have the camera and I have all of that stuff. Like, so just because like I saw it up close and personal for so many years, like I'm, I'm like afraid of men. So having this happen to you, are you always on high alert? Like afraid you're going to be attacked? So in certain situations, like if I go to the club, which I don't really go to the club that often, (laughs) Um, or if I go, okay, I'm really hypervigilant at like the DMV and stuff. I, there's just so many people there and I'm a little bit hypervigilant at Disneyland and stuff too, but, um, it's just like heavily populated areas where I'm a little bit hypervigilant, but in my house, I feel completely safe. My house is my safe place. Um, so I feel really safe here. And then, um, I feel like when I go to the movies or a restaurant, like, I'm very aware. So, like, I notice when people are staring at me or if they recognize me or something or if they're trying to figure out where they know me from. (laughs) So, I recognize that and I just, like, am becoming aware of that, um, if that makes sense. But I'm not – I'm not living in such a state of fear. Okay. I like the way you say it. I like how you would describe it as you are aware. One of the questions, since you just mentioned it, I'll jump to that one. Do people recognize you? <laughs> yeah. I, um, I feel like, well, I don't know. It's it, like, it depends. Like sometimes people are just like staring at me and they see me on something and they're like, where do I know her from? Right. Like they're trying to and- figure it out. Yeah, and then there's, like, some cases where people see me, and then they get really excited, and um, they, like, they know that I just, like, realized that I saw them notice that, (laughs) Um, and then I think they get shy and, like, look away or something or do their own thing after that, Um, but I just, like, kind of smile and laugh. That is funny. Um, And then they're, like people that come up to me and take pictures but I always honestly I always like when they come up and um talk to me because I have been stalked and um I don't know why when people are just like staring and stuff it kind of brings back a little bit of the feeling of the stalking and being watched Mm -hmm. so I appreciate when people come up to me and have a conversation because I feel like if they watch the show then there's obviously something that they liked about it or were able to relate to. And I love connecting with other women and other people about their experiences. Okay. So people, if you see Tara out and about, don't look at her like a stalker. Go and say hi. (laughs) She's a very nice person. (laughs) Yeah. No, I love to connect with people. Um, Okay. Jennifer wants to know, I mean, I guess you kind of explained throughout this podcast how you're doing now. um, And she's asking how your mom is doing. Well, I'm doing great. I'm trying to figure out, um, like, healthy relationships. Like, that's the point in my life right now is figuring a healthy balance because I was such a people pleaser. I went through this trauma. And so I have to have a lot of boundaries on my life. So right now I'm just figuring out navigating that. But I have a great group of friends they're so supportive and 
I just couldn't ask for more. I feel like they helped me in my therapy because they're very touchy-feely. And that's something that I didn't necessarily grow up with. My parents were just not affectionate in that way. And so, like, having, like, people touch me and are so caring and check up on me, it makes me feel very whole and that I don't have to stray away from people when they touch me. And how's your mom? She is doing great. She's actually, um, I'm like going to make a joke. She's almost engaged. Uh, uh, well, one of the questions was her relationship status. So good to know. <laughs> well, like I, I make a joke. We really like him. Um, he's a great guy. They've been, I want to say dating for eight months now. Okay. Well, I'm glad uh, that you like him. So, like, does she totally seek your approval now? Because <laughs> some of the questions are about, like, um, about how, you know, she she kind of ignored you and the, your other family members' advice on, like, hey, this guy's crazy. And she's like, no, we're good. So yeah. now, after this experience, is she like, okay, what do you think? And she really listens to you? So she really values our approval. Um because she wants to, she's like, what do you think of him? Like, is he a good guy? Like, what, like, <laughs> what are your thoughts? And we're always like, um, we take our time, first of all, um, to get to know someone. But something that was really important to me is that he seeks my approval because he is very cautious because he knows that I went through such a traumatic thing. And I mean, He's such a nice guy, but it is hard because the last person did try to kill me. So it's hard to um, just accept it and accept that he's a good guy. And I like my family's done research on him. We like him. I interviewed him on my first podcast episode with my mom. And it's just he he's such a great guy because he is so considerate of my feelings along with my mom and other people in our family. That's good. I like that. Um, Karen is asking, based on your life experience with this, what kind of red flags can you help women avoid in the dating scene? And then what advice would what advice would you offer other women who are in abusive relationships? So red flags and then abuse and then advice if they are in the relationship. Well, if you're seeing red flags in the beginning, like anything that makes your gut like your stomach cringe. Like literally, if you have a second thought about anything they said, like, oh, like, why is he hanging out with his ex-wife so much? Maybe he's not ready to move on. Or if he's saying that he had a car, but it got stolen. And then there's little tweaks to that story as it goes along. Those are red flags too. having really elaborate stories um, that don't kind of add up. Um, also not giving a person eye contact, um, that's a huge one. And, you know, when you're with someone, you kind of want someone that's like-minded like you in a sense, where if you're someone that likes to go out and you like to mingle, but you don't like to be tied down with a guy, you need someone that's able to socialize like you do. So you need to, um... Find someone that has social skills like you, if that makes sense. That totally makes sense. And like those red flags, like like we heard them in the podcast and we saw them on the Bravo show. And like on the surface, they look like little teeny tiny things that, that's like, oh, whatever. It's no big deal. But the fact that somebody goes out of their way to lie about a little teeny tiny thing that doesn't appear to, big, appear to be a big deal is like yeah. a sign of something so much bigger and worse. Oh, yeah. Well, like he was a compulsive liar. He lied about every little thing. And then just like when he was going to work, like he would go to different locations and stuff. And we wouldn't know this if we didn't put a tracker on a car, which is actually illegal. <laughs> but you got to do what you got to do sometimes. You do, honestly. And I hate to give that advice out, but like 
you have to be your own badass sometimes. And like, if the police aren't doing stuff to make you feel safe, like what can you personally do to make you feel safe? Yeah. Like, don't go out and kill him. Don't go out and attack him or kidnap him or anything or them. But literally just make a plan. I don't know if you've seen the movie Enough with Jennifer Lopez. Yes. Badass right there. But, yeah, watch that movie and be like her. Mm-hmm. I like that. No, and that's – I mean, somebody's asking for advice – um, for other women in abusive relationships. And we've heard too many times that when the police know about something and they do nothing, the next story that you see is that she's dead and the guy got mm-hmm. arrested. Like you have to do something yeah. before it gets to that point. Yeah. I want to say that like also if you're in a relationship with a narcissist or sociopath or psychopath, you have to be extremely careful about how you leave. You have to be smart. Like how she, in that movie, she planned, she saved up money. You know, she had to find a strategy exit. She took her time with it. You're right. Yeah. And you cannot just leave and decide that you're going to just hide from this person right away because a lot of times in that case, that's when they will go after you and they will kill you. And do you think that's what happened in your situation? A hundred percent. Because my mom left him and he spiraled downwards. And he was doing – like he – they got a dog together. And he would go to California to stalk us and leave the dog at the house in Vegas. And the dog would get out so many times. So the dog ended up in the pound. But there was one time, I think, where he let the dog go. And he was just losing his mind a little bit. And then he also had, my mom bought him a car and, or leased him a car. No, she bought it because um, we traded in the car and got me a new car with that. (laughs) You deserve a new car. Thanks. Um, Yeah, so he ran his car into a gate right beforehand and he literally like instead of staying there with the car like a normal person would he fled because he was probably high on something so um you know there's things he was doing to spiral downwards but he was I feel like in that time he was making plans like at the house he also had printed out like he had a printed out page of my Facebook and just information on us. Did you ever find out what his plan was for you that day? So I don't know 100%, but he had a lot of knives in the back of his trunk. He had zip ties. Um he was stabbing me and he also had messages to a lawyer on like a burner phone that he was going to bury us in the desert. Is that why in the show we saw him burying a grave or digging a grave? Um, a little bit, but actually it was, um, not the desert. It was, um, the backyard to the Vegas house. Wow. Like that's where he was going to bury us. And um, that house had nice astroturf, so he would have to put us underneath the astroturf. <laughs> Which, well, I just find it funny because it's like a small spot where he said he was going to bury us. It's it's just like a, like when I think of your story, it's honest to God, just like amazing that you were able to fight back and win. When this man, like you're, you're like not a big girl. He's a much larger man. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's a much larger, larger man who premeditated an attack with a knife and you managed to take the knife and beat him with it. Like it's, it's just, it's just a wild story. And I'm so glad that you have your podcast, that you're speaking about it. Um, because like I said, I feel like in this country, violence against women is not a priority for people in law enforcement. They will only step in when it's too late to do anything. So 
I just think you're doing amazing things. Um, and I appreciate you coming on and being so open and honest and answering like all of these questions. Like you're literally like, nope, nothing's off limits. I'll talk about whatever. And that's amazing. So thank you so much, Tara. I'm going to link to your podcast, Time Out with Tara, in the show notes so people can find it easily. Um, is there anything else that you want to add that I should have asked? Um, no, I think we got it all covered except for like maybe – Go if you guys are struggling with PTSD and stuff. I do vlog and blog about it a little bit. I'm a little bit behind, but if you're curious about maybe wanting to do therapy yourself, there's a lot of information out there that you could check. And you know, it's not so scary if you look at someone else doing it. And where can people find this information? Um, so everything's linked on my website, taranewell.com, T-E-R-R-A, just like earth, and then Newell, N-E-W-E-L-L. Okay, perfect. I will link to that in the show notes. And Tara and I first connected on Instagram. I started following you on Instagram after I watched the Bravo series. And you really are, like, it's, it like, you really are the nicest person. Like, after you defended yourself to not die the first thing you like say is oh I'm sorry like you really are the sweetest person ever so people go check her out on Instagram as well and make sure um, you check out the show notes you can listen to her podcast and head to her website thank you so much Tara thank you did you guys like it? I loved it I told Tara we're gonna talk for about half an hour and we started going like way over and I was like oh dear lord I need to condense some of these questions. Um, she's so sweet. She's so nice. She is such an open book. I loved chatting with her. Make sure you check out her podcast, Time Out with Tara. I'm going to be a guest on her podcast. So I'm super excited about that. And um, check out taranewell.com because she is doing amazing things. And if you listen to this podcast without knowing anything about Dirty John, then you're probably going to want to check it out now more than ever. And if you have already listened to the podcast or maybe you saw the Oxygen special or you saw the show on Bravo, um, isn't Tara amazing? Pretty cool story. It sounds crazy to call it a cool story, but the fact that she was able to like fight back, like how a knife drops and the handle falls like practically in your hand at the perfect time and perfect angle for you to defend yourself and live is insane to me. Her story is just fascinating. So I was so happy that she came on the podcast to share it and let me know what you think. Like, should I break it up a little bit more like this? Do you like hearing some more of these human interest stories in addition to business strategies and tips and tricks? Let me know. Hit me up on Instagram or Twitter at Christina all day so I can give you a little bit more of what you want here on the Become a Media Maven podcast. And um, if you haven't already, I would really appreciate a rating or a review. Let me know what you are thinking. Um, super easy to do in Apple Podcasts, and I would be very grateful for that rating or review. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you again next week. <laughs>